Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. How many homes, how big of a house, etc., is enough? How many friends is enough? Etc. and etc. We could go on and on, and we would have to say, in, in this life, nothing completely satisfies, and nothing is enough except for Christ. And we've celebrated that today. Christ is enough. When you have that inner contentment and satisfaction in your life, and you're allowing Christ to fill that emptiness in your heart with his Holy Spirit, that is more than enough. He is super sufficient and always, always ever present. So part of what we're going to talk about today, dealing with spiritual bondage, is When you follow a false teacher, it's never enough. It's never enough. If they have new, quote, insights and they they have ideas that draw you in, uh, it's never enough because only the, the bread of life, the word of God can satisfy your inner desires and longings. And, And teaching that's not based on this book is, is not satisfying. Even if they claim to be coming from this book, but you recognize that they're minimizing Jesus and elevating people, or they're minimizing the spiritual and magnifying the material, those are sure signs that it's false teaching. So last week we talked about spiritual insanity. Spiritual insanity is what what drives false teachers and draws people in with them. And we contemplated two important questions. Who are you following? Who are you following? Because all of us are following someone. We ought to ultimately be following Christ, but we have others in our lives that are pouring into us and encouraging us. And then along with following, there comes that forsaking. That's an important concept to keep in mind today. If you're following someone other than Christ or you're pursuing something other than him, you are forsaking Christ and And that's the danger of false teachers. They call you to forsake Christ and begin to follow them. But if you're following Christ, then you're forsaking the things of this world and the things that don't satisfy. And if you're following Christ, you're forsaking that which God would have you say no to. But the important thing is saying the right yes before you try to say the no. You have to say yes to Christ. You have to say, yes, I will follow you, and in doing so, I will forsake this. So I say yes to him and no to other things because my ultimate love and loyalty is to Christ. Which brings us to the next part, 
in the passage about false teachers. It speaks of spiritual bondage. That's where spiritual insanity always leads us into a deeper, darker depth of bondage. So before we read the passage, let me define for you, based on the passage, what spiritual bondage would be. Spiritual bondage is this, false freedom that feeds the flesh and enslaves the soul. Spiritual bondage is false freedom that feeds our flesh and starves the soul or enslaves the soul ultimately. And so we're going to examine again some qualities of false teaching this time. And we'll see three ways that we can be brought into some spiritual bondage. So let's look together at 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 17 through 19 as we talk about the spiritual bondage that results from listening to false teaching. So keep in mind, he's speaking about false teachers and he says in verse 17, these are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest or blown by the wind, to whom the gloom of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through licentiousness, the ones who have actually or barely escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption or depravity for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Let's pray together. Father, we dare not try to comprehend your word without a heart that's tender to you. But Father, I thank you that you have designed your word in a way to speak to our hearts and that your Holy Spirit is present here. I pray that he would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your truth. So Father, I pray you would speak through me today because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we spent the first part of the week or the middle of the week bracing ourselves for a storm. Uh, We had in our minds and made preparations that that we would get some impact from the storm. And the, the one consolation in my mind was, uh, regardless of how bad it is, at least we'll get some rain. It looked like 
if nothing else, we would get some rain. And so we, we awakened the day that we thought we would be awakened in the night from the storm. And it looked very much like today. And in that case, I was relieved. I was shocked, but relieved. Now, I know many others have suffered. I'm not making lightly, taking that lightly, but there are other times when there's a forecast of just rain and the clouds gather, the, the sky darkens. Even in the midst of that lack of rain, there was a little bit of a, a rainbow in the distance the other day that I saw, but no rain. Uh, still a dry thirstiness in our soil. That's how this passage begins, isn't it? It talks about false teachers being wells without water, clouds that gather but are blown as in a storm, to whom the gloom of darkness is reserved forever, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, let's pause there. Great swelling words of emptiness. First quality about false teaching I want us to pay attention to today is false teaching is empty. It may look wonderful on the outside. It may make these swelling great promises of things, but yet it delivers nothing. It, it may build you up and boost your spirit for a moment, but ultimately it's empty. It, it's something that creates a, a burst of gratification that leaves you desiring a greater gratification the next time. Great swelling words of emptiness. So let's think about these images. Wells without water. You see, as people traveled in that day, a spring or a well would be much desired in that dry and thirsty land in which they lived. Nothing was more satisfying than to come with a parched tongue and throat and and partake of cool water. However, nothing was more frustrating than to arrive and see that the well was dry or the pond was a mirage and there was no spring. That was an image that people could understand in that day. And Peter, under the inspiration of God, uses that. Also, Jude uses similar word pictures to talk about false teaching as being empty, promising much, delivering not little, but nothing. There's a passage in the Old Testament that will help us to uh, help to shed light on this in Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah was prophesying in a day of 
warning the people of God of coming judgment and captivity in their lives. And his message, for the most part, fell on deaf ears. For multiple decades, he preached. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, he describes the spiritual scene there by recording the very words of God. Beginning in verse 11, Jeremiah 2. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? What it's saying there is God is saying, have you ever seen a nation give up their idols and embrace other idols and push those aside? But my people, he says, have changed their glory, the true God, for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have dug or hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. So there again, there are those two evils, forsaking God and following in a different direction. When in reality, we're to forsake this and follow him, it would make perfect sense in the economy of God that you would forsake false idols and follow him for that fulfilling water of life that he provides, that inner contentment and satisfaction. But he is appalled that his very people would forsake him and then dare to create some form of sustenance spiritually with their own hands. Now today, false gods take on many shapes and forms, don't they? But today in our day, although we seem to be so amazingly advanced, don't we seem to be so morally backwards? Why? We have forsaken the fount of living water and we have hewn out cisterns that hold no water, political agendas, immoral lifestyles, and even worse than that, not just immoral, but amoral, no morals, to where people don't even recognize the difference between right and wrong. It's, it's all situational. And we have forsaken the living waters and we've hewn out these wells and and this fame and this fortune and all of these false gods are the deeper you dig, the emptier it is and the less it provides. So back to 2 Peter chapter two, they offered these swelling words of promise that were nothing but emptiness. And so there's that second image of clouds carried by a tempest or blown by the wind. That promise of rain, the clouds blow away, leaving the land dry and hot. Both of these images give us a picture of people looking for benefit and blessing somewhere and not finding it. 
cooling of a spring, the refreshing shower from the clouds, but in each case, all they find is dry, desolate disappointment. So when someone is following a false teacher and they're looking outside of Christ, outside of the word of God, this is what happens when you follow someone. You're deceived, disappointed, and then you become very dependent upon that false teacher. Here's a good way to to see who's influencing you. When you're asked a question you don't understand the answer to, do you ever think, I wonder what this person would say? Or I wonder how this person would answer that question. Or do you say, I need to know what God says about that. I came to a place in my life, even as a preacher and a pastor. I was away from our home in a, in a secluded place for a conference. I came to understand that I was more acquainted with the minds of men than the mind of God. I was, I was reading at least one book a week, more than that sometimes, just trying to gain insight and knowledge and, and I realized I was doing that to the neglect of the word of God and I had to repent of that. And so I went on a three-year book fast. I'm not boasting about that. It was a very broken time in my life. But I committed to God there in a prayer garden that I would read nothing but his word until he released me. And then, you know what began to happen in the course of time? I began to think scripture. I, I no longer looked at exterior teachers that, that might fill my mind with things about how to do church or how to live life. I, I was drawing that from the word of God. And, and my relationship with God was growing in intimacy and warmness. And I began to be set free from that. Another question would be when you face a challenge, what's your first reaction of how to deal with the stress? Do you quickly turn to God or is there something to which you turn to rather than him? I'm telling you, if you turn to anything rather than God, you're turning to an empty mess. And you've gained that from some false influence or false teaching whether it's formal teaching or not. So what would be the opposite of of buying into these empty wells and and transitioning clouds? And what would be the difference in looking to these swelling words of empty promises? Well, the best place to look is Jesus. In John chapter 7, they're coming to the end of a great celebration that has the action of water being present and poured. And Jesus dares on that last day of that great day of the feast to stand and speak these words. John 7, 
37 and 38. If anyone thirsts, The picture here is he's not saying if you thirst. All of us thirst, but he's going to make a promise here. If anyone, that means everybody in the room and everybody that's ever lived, everybody that ever lived. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, Jesus said, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now just think of the jump there. It's it's a jump from an empty well and a dry spring to a fountain of living water in Christ. A water that replenishes itself daily in our lives. Never runs out, never becomes stagnant. He is always there to fulfill our innermost longing for him. He's not promising us a a passing stream or a stagnant pool, but he's promising a well that overflows with satisfaction, the satisfaction of peace and joy and love and hope and help in him. Let him come to me and drink. And that promise is true. Haven't you found in the dry depths of your grief, you found the fountain to continue to flow? Haven't you found in those dark days of despair and depression that that somewhere down in the depths, the, the fountain of his living water began to restore you? He is a faithful God. But false teaching will pull you toward that which is empty and doesn't satisfy. But notice it says, not only come to me, but come to me and drink. It's not enough just in your head to believe that Jesus existed. It's not even enough to believe that Jesus was God in flesh, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death for you, conquered death through his resurrection. You you believe all that, but, but you've got to drink of that. You've got to embrace him as your Lord and Savior. You've got to personally partake of the life that he offers. It's not just a change of mind, it's a change of heart and it's the spirit of God that takes up residence in your life and fills you with this rivers of living water that overflow daily in our lives. Have you come to him and drank of his fullness? He satisfies when nothing else does. So false teaching is empty. The second thing from the passage in the second Peter two, false teaching is enticing. It's empty, but yet it's enticing. Just notice how it's described there at the end of verse 18. It says, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, 
they allure you, or some translations say they entice you. They entice through the lusts of the flesh, through licentiousness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. The lusts are the desires of the flesh. They entice and they allure people to them. I've heard people try to justify a false teacher by saying, but look at all the people that follow them. Surely that many people can't be wrong. Oh yes, they can. Because a feeder of the flesh always gains a great following. Because the masses are are hungry. Even in our day, there are movements that offer nothing. They are veneer on the outside. They, they offer something that looks true, but it's so empty when you begin to explore the, the back side of that. It becomes very dark. So these enticing teachings... That word allure or entice in the Greek language means to catch with bait or to trap and possibly both. They bait the trap and then they've got you. You see, when you enter into a false teacher's realm, you are drawn there by this feeding of your flesh they're, they're making life look better than it is. They're, they're promising you fulfillment where there'll be no fulfillment because it's empty, but they're, they're enticing you. And then when it appears in reality that it is empty, they just entice you a little bit more. Oh my, you must not have enough faith. Just keep believing, you'll get it, you'll get it. And they keep dangling the carrot further and further away to allure you into the demonic trap that is set for you. It is very, very enticing. And this enticing nature is very, very aggressive. Highs never stay high. It just doesn't last. It's enticing. And so they, they seek to deceive the weak. And they, they do this, one person says, by high-sounding words that masquerade as scholarship or knowledge or with profound spiritual insight, supposedly, or even as a direct revelation from God. And it can progress that way. Oh, I have this knowledge, you need this. I have this insight that I wanna share with you. Oh, God has given me this. You know what the reality is? God has already given you this. 
Second Peter says, we have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness in the context of talking about the sufficiency of the word of God. And so if people say, oh, the Bible's good, but that's time for you to butt out of that conversation and get back to the word of God. It's very dangerous, but very, very enticing. Have you noticed how sin progresses? You start out with what you think, well, it's just a small thought, but then it doesn't satisfy any longer, so you you move to some action and then that doesn't satisfy. So you go to another level and another level and another level. And before you know it, you're in spiritual bondage because it's empty. And that's what makes it so enticing because the longer you stay dissatisfied, the more you long to be satisfied with this promise that's being made. They are enticing in their teaching and they allure those who are weak. And then it uses a word here that uh, we do not use in our language much. They do this through licentiousness. Possibly no one in the room has said this last week. Now that was pretty licentious. It's not a word we use. But here's what it means. Unbridled lust or desire out of control, outrageous behavior in excess. They they entice you through this ability to do anything. God's grace will cover it. God understands. God doesn't care. Yes, he does care and he, he doesn't understand. He, he's holy. And so they, they entice believers rather than edifying them and building them up with the word of God to strengthen them. They flatter and feed the flesh. They major on seduction rather than salvation. Quick gratification rather than ultimate salvation from your sin. You see the trap it is to go into spiritual bondage because you've you've bought into spiritual insanity. Life is looking different already and so now you are just following. Don't you find that amazing in our culture? How quickly people can just follow in a frenzy. People can get upset and pulled into anger and they don't even have any idea what the source of the anger is. It's human nature to be enticed by things. And so that's the second thing about false teaching. It's empty, it's enticing. And then finally, it is enslaving. False teaching is enslaving. Look at verse 19. While they promise them liberty, 
they themselves are slaves of corruption or depravity. They're saying this will set you free. You'll have the freedom to do what you want, to get what you want, to have what you want, to believe what you want. And the whole time they're doing that, they are enslaved by their very corruption that's leading them to give that which is empty and enticing to others. Isn't that strange? It would be like me sitting in my recliner with a bag of chips and a soft drink and on the phone telling someone how to work out and get in shape. That would be insane. But they're like, flesh-driven toward gluttony. All excesses in their lives, but telling everyone else how to be free. They're enslaved by their corruption or their depravity. And then notice how the verse ends, verse 19, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage or slavery. We've laughed before about a young teenager graduating from high school, sick and tired of mom and dad's rules and regulations. So they're going to go out and join the Marines. We've laughed about that. But people do the same thing. Slavery and bondage takes all shapes and forms, doesn't it? You can be in bondage mentally and emotionally and socially and spiritually and almost be unaware of the condition of your life. Here he says that when someone brings you into bondage, you've been overcome by them. You are following them. You're feeding on them. You are drawing from them and you have been enticed by that which is empty and now you're afraid to let go because you are enslaved and in bondage to everything that's been offered. So this enslaving aspect of false teaching promises satisfaction but delivers slavery. It promises blessings but it brings you into bondage because they now control you. But if Jesus is Lord of your life whom the Son has set free, you are free indeed. And you have found spiritual freedom not spiritual bondage. There's a great passage about this in Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. There the apostle Paul is talking about the difference of being driven by your flesh or by by the spirit of God. He's talking about what it means to be a child of God. 
beginning in verse 11 or verse 12, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We are in debt, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. You don't owe your flesh anything. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of a bondage, again to fear, talking about coming under the law and sin, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You've moved from the realm of emptiness and enticement of sin and enslavement of sin to the freedom that comes from knowing God as your Father through Jesus Christ, your Lord, and that is assured to you by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What a blessing that is, that freedom that Christ gives. So what breaks that bondage to sin? What what has greater power than sin in your life? The only thing would be the blood of Jesus. It took his blood to purchase our salvation. It took his blood to overcome all the sin of all the world. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He who knew no sin took our sin on the tree. He shed his blood that we might be forgiven. It's it's by his blood that we have victory. And when I bring my life to him and I recognize him as Lord and master and I trust him and him alone for my salvation. His blood is sufficient to cleanse me and make me new. His blood is sufficient daily for me to come with whatever sin I've committed in my life and confess it to him and his sin cleanses me from all unrighteousness. His blood cleanses me from all unrighteousness and sin in my life and I'm free. Freedom is only purchased by Christ with his precious blood. And that's what sets us free and breaks the bondage of sin. So I, I wonder today, have you come to that place of freedom in your life? Where you're not enslaved anymore. would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.